0: day, friends, and welcome to a few moments of Black History Moments. I hope you all are doing well, and I hope you're staying safe, that you're wearing your mask, and that your life is going in the direction that you want it to flow. If you listened to the episode 1943. Then I told you about some of the atrocities and things that our fathers had to go through in the military service. And I also told you that I would have to break this down into two segments. And this is the second segment. Things they had to go through when they came home. Atrocities that were put on them that helped create this rat race. So get your coffee mug and sit back and relax for a few minutes. And I'm going to expose some people to you. I'm going to tell you some well-hidden secrets about how our government segregated America. When Eugene Burnett saw the new tract houses in Leviton, New York, he knew right away he wanted to buy one. It was 1949 and he was ready to settle down into a larger home with his family. The newly established Long Island suburbs seemed like the perfect place to begin their post-war life, one that he hoped would be improved with the help of the GI Bill. A piece of sweeping legislation aimed at helping World War II veterans like Burnett prosper after the war. But when he spoke with a salesman about buying the house using a GI Bill guaranteed mortgage, the door to suburban life in Leviton slammed firmly in his face. The suburbs was not open to black people. And the Burnetts weren't the only black Americans for whom the promise of the GI Bill turned out to be an illusion. Though the bill helped white Americans prosper and accumulate wealth in the post-war years, it didn't deliver on that promise for veterans of color. In fact, the wide disparity in the bill's implementation ended up helping drive growing gaps in wealth, education, and civil rights between white and black Americans. While the GI Bill's language didn't specifically exclude African American veterans from its benefits, it was structured in a way that ultimately shut doors for 1.2 million black veterans who had bravely served their country during World War II in segregated ranks. When lawmakers began drafting the bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats feared that returning black veterans would use public sympathy for veterans to advocate against Jim Crow laws and to make sure the GI Bill largely benefited white people, the Southern Democrats drew upon tactics they had previously used to ensure that the New Deal helped as few black people as possible. During the drafting of the law, the chair of the House Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, played hardball and insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. And he got his way. Franken was known for his stark racism. He defended segregation, opposed interracial marriage, and had even proposed legislation to confine then deport every person with Japanese heritage during World War II. When the bill came to a committee vote, he stonewalled in an attempt to gut another provision that entitled all veterans to $20 a week of unemployment compensation for a year. Now, people, I must say $20 a week of unemployment was a lot of money back in those days. And Rankin knew this would represent a significant gain for black Southerners, so he refused to cast a critical proxy vote in protest. But the American Legion stepped in and ended up tracking down the congressman who had left his proxy vote with Rankin and flying him to Washington to break the deadlock. Roosevelt signed the Servicemen Readjustment Act into law on June 22, 1944, only weeks after the D-Day Offensive began. It ushered into law sweeping benefits for veterans, including college tuition, low home loans, and unemployment insurance. But from the very beginning, Black veterans had trouble securing the GI Bill's benefits. Some could not access benefits because they had not been given an honorable discharge, and a much larger number of Black veterans were discharged dishonorably than their white counterparts. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you something that I have never heard before. I've never read anything about it. I've watched all the movies on him and never saw anything about it. It's just something that the United States government decided was a secret for them to keep. We know back then that black veterans could be dishonorably discharged for any simple offense and were given these discharges at twice the rate of the white soldiers. In 1944, Jackie Robinson was arrested and tried in a general court-martial when he was an army lieutenant stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. His crime was refusing to move to the segregated section of a bus. Robinson, who three years later would be the first African-American to play Major League Baseball, was already a nationally known athlete, and the Army might have feared arousing unrest in the African-American community if he were convicted Also during his trial, the Army finally prohibited segregation on buses that transported soldiers. And you know, probably for both of these reasons, he was not convicted. Had Robinson been dishonorably discharged, the Brooklyn Dodgers would undoubtedly have refused to hire him. And the beginning of the civil rights would have been retarded at least. When I came across this, folks, I could not believe it. Jackie Robinson, one of our known heroes in the athletic field, a lieutenant in the United States Army, was going to be dishonorably discharged for refusing to take a seat in the back of the bus. Veterans who did qualify could not find facilities that delivered on the bill's promises. Black veterans in a vocational training program at a segregated high school in Indianapolis were unable to participate in activities related to plumbing, electricity, and printing because adequate equipment was only available to white students. Simple intimidation kept others from enjoying GI Bill benefits. In 1947, for example, a crowd threw rocks at black veterans as they moved into a Chicago housing development. Thousands of black veterans were attacked in the years following World War II, and some were singled out and lynched. So Rankin had lost the battle to exclude black men from va unemployment insurance it was doled out unfairly men who applied for unemployment benefits were kicked out of the program if any other work was available to them even work that provided less wages than they were drawing from unemployment southern postmasters were even accused of refusing to deliver the forms black veterans needed to fill out to receive their unemployment benefits. Now, civil rights groups and black veterans protested their treatment, calling for protections like black involvement in VA and non-discriminatory loans. But the racial imperatives in the implementation of the GI Bill had already been set into motion. And as the years went on, white veterans flowed into newly created suburbs where they began amassing wealth in skilled positions. But black veterans lacked these options. The majority of skilled jobs were given to white workers. The post-war housing boom almost entirely excluded black Americans, most of whom remained in cities that received less and less investments from businesses and banks. The ghetto was born. You see, all this was caused because although the GI Bill guaranteed low-interest mortgages and other loans, they were not administered by the VA itself. They could co-sign, but not actually guarantee the loans. This gave White-run financial institutions free reign to refuse mortgages and loans to black people. Redlining is in effect now and has been around for decades. And this was a practice of marking maps by race to characterize the risks of lending money and providing insurance, made purchasing a home even more difficult for black veterans. Lenders froze out poorer neighborhoods ensuring that loan assistance and insurance would be denied. And new white suburbs often came with overtly racist laws that denied entry to black people. In 1947, only two of the more than 3,200 VA guaranteed home loans in 13 Mississippi cities went to black applicants. These implements were not only confined to the South, in New York and northern New Jersey suburbs, fewer than 100 of the 67,000 mortgages insured by the GI Bill supported homes purchased by non-whites. Well, there it is. Now we know. We know how that wealth gap between black and whites began. And it went something like this. If John bought a house in 1948 and he paid roughly $8,000 for it on a 30-year mortgage, by the time John Jr. was grown and raising a family of his own, John Sr.'s house was paid off. So when John Sr. died, the house that he paid $8,000 for which would now be a worth $200,000 was left to John Jr. Now John Jr is raising a family, he has no mortgage and he can set money aside for his child to go to college. His estate is worth at least 200,000 and he can set money aside that he would have paid for a mortgage to send his Child to college, or he could take that $200,000 home and put it on a $400,000 home only owning $200,000. And in 10 years, that $400,000 home would be worth a half a million. This is the ball game black people never got into. This was the ball game that we were eliminated from in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Although quite a few black people had good paying jobs, it was never enough to set aside college money for their children. And I can tell you something else. Many black men returning home from the war didn't even try to take advantage of the bill's educational benefits. They could not afford to spend time in school instead of working. And those who did? were at a considerable disadvantage compared to their white counterparts. Public education provided poor preparation for black students. As veteran applications flooded universities, black students often found themselves left out. Northern universities dragged their feet when it came to admitting black students, and southern colleges barred black students entirely and the VA itself encouraged black veterans to apply for vocational training instead of university admissions and denied educational benefits to some students. And the students who did try to attend college found doors closed at every turn. A full 95% of black veterans were shunted off to black college institutions that were underfunded and overwhelmed by the influx of new students. Most were unaccredited, and with a mass influx in applications, they had to turn away tens of thousands of veterans. The original GI Bill ended in July 1956, and by that time, nearly eight million World War II veterans had received education or training, and 4.3 million home loans worth $33 billion had been handed out, but most Black veterans had been left behind. As employment, college attendance, and wealth surged for whites, disparities with their Black counterparts not only continued but widened. My friends, there's no greater instrument for widening an already huge racial gap in post-war America than the GI Bill. Today, a stark wealth gap between black and whites persists. The medial income for white households in 2017 was $68,000. According to the U S census for black households, it was $40,000. So now you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this segment. I hope you heard something that made you go. Damn. That music tells me that it's that time. And until next time, my friends, It has been my honor.